0: This week on the podcast, I am joined by Jessica Taylor Beyer. She's an Under Armour Hunt-sponsored athlete, the founder of followherarrow.com. She seeks to inspire women and younger generations to pick up a bow and to live their life fearlessly. If you want to keep up with her story, check her out at followherarrow.com and follow her arrow on all socials. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast as much as I did. On the podcast, I'm joined by Jessica Byers. She is an Under Armour Hunt athlete, and she is also the founder of Follow Her Arrow. Um, maybe you could just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners.
1: Um, well, you kind of nailed it. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Taylor Byers, I am the founder and creator of Follow Her Arrow, which started in August of 2015, and it's it was essentially started out as a blog to inspire women to uh, pick up a bow and um, get started hunting in the archery world, and it's just kind of evolved from there into some really cool opportunities, um, much further than just than than just writing. So now I do it full time, and I know that's essentially <laughs> my little intro for you.
0: Right. Why do you think it's important to inspire women to bow hunt?
1: I think I would have picked up a bow year, like much sooner than I did if. I felt confident enough walking into an archery shop. And so I was, you know, luckily I had my husband. He put a bow in my hand. And this is after years and years of rifle hunting. So you take a girl that's been hunting since she was younger. She's totally fine being the only girl in camp. She's totally fine going out to hunt by herself. And I still felt intimidated going into an archery shop. And I just thought, man, if I am already... You know, comfortable in other situations that a lot of women aren't comfortable in, and that's still intimidating for me. Can you imagine how many women are out there that just literally are are hurting themselves or're not even trying to jump in and and experience it all due to fear. And so then I started thinking, like, well, I had my husband, you know, kind of take my hand and put a you know, help me with archery, And he'd been bow hunting since he was eight. So I had this awesome mentor, very experienced, very successful. I had men all around me that hunted, and if you have a woman that doesn't that doesn't have a brother, husband, boyfriend, uncle, somebody to do that, then what better way to learn from than from another woman? Because I just feel like women think uh, differently, and we learn from each other better. And even though I have a great mentor, I just think that well, you know, we're created differently for a reason, and so. I don't even know how, at the time I had, a, I was actually had my own salon in town. I was in the beauty industry for three years and I was literally working on my client and I was like, and I'd been bow hunting for a couple of seasons of that, at that point. And I was like, I think I'm going to start a blog. And she's like, okay, wh- why? And I said, well, I keep coming across all these women and, and um, hunters or non-hunters or who are interested in it And they just say, I don't know how you do that. I could never do that. I, that's just that'd be way too hard and I'm like it's really not that hard and the positives outweigh the negatives you know because we all have our ups and downs in the bow hunting world but uh I just started writing and it took off and I think it resonated with a lot of women and I think it still does so I still try to keep writing um but the key was talking about my failures because it's already intimidating enough to want to get started And then you're just listening to people's success stories all the time. And that's just hunting in general, but like, especially bow hunting, nobody wants to talk about the failures and it's sickening because you have a lot more failures as a bow hunter than you ever do as a rifle hunter. Not that there's one that's better than the other. It's just, it is the way that it is. And so I just felt like, I just felt called to write about it and didn't really think it would, I wanted it to go somewhere, but I didn't think that it would it take off the way that it did. So Mm -hmm. there's obviously a need for it. And I think there still is.
0: So for someone that's writing blog posts, like I wrote, I write blog posts, I do podcasts, stuff like that. So how is, what is the path to monetization and the path to doing this full time? What does that look like for you? Did you, did you do something part time while you started to transition into this or did you just like jump into it at one point?
1: Oh no. Well, so because I had my own salon, I made my own schedule. And so then I started working like, I'd work like three or four days that were, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour days, get all my clients in really fast. And then I'd hunt on the weekends and write about the experiences. And eventually I just was, I was hunting all the time. And so it slowly transitioned, but the writing, I funneled people to the writing through social media and Honestly, like I'm at a plateau right now with social because I can't keep up with the difference in like algorithms and stuff, and so it's really hard to keep up with. I think when I jumped into it, it was much easier to grow, and so it was a timing thing, and and so I was able to funnel a ton of people towards my blog. Um, mm-hmm. But you can always, I mean, you can always just people write for magazines all the time, and you can start sending stuff into magazines left and right, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably how most people get started. I just have such a like a a, I had such a niche when I started that it was, you know, geared toward women. And so I it was when you have something so specific that's needed, I think that's what that probably helps. But I can't deny that at the time that I started growing, my social media was much easier. Like Instagram's changed a lot. So Mm -hmm. that's how I was able to do it. And then, of course, I tell anybody it's all about who, you know, I mean, literally it takes one person to change the speed of your growth and your opportunities and and the more hands that you shake in anything that you do is always going to benefit you and help you in more ways than you can imagine
0: so do you have any like um any deals with brands that you like represent i see that you're pretty big with hha i've I've had them on the podcast before so just wondering like what what is your relationship with them look like
1: yeah, who did you talk to, Scott? I'm assuming. Scott,
0: yeah, Scott. He's he's a super cool dude. He's really funny.
1: He's awesome. He's one of my favorite people. Um, I actually was was possibly going to go to the Pope and Young convention this. I think it's this weekend. Mm-hmm. They're going to be there. But anyway, um, my relationship with HHA. Well, I've shot HHA for years. Like the, I so when I got my first bow, I had the uh, factory site on it just like whatever came with the bow package and um, the next one that I got was HHA and I've never I've never left so mm. I just believe in them um they're my favorite thing is just how durable they are they're freaking you can put them through hell and they're gonna perform so um, but I I didn't start working with them like truly working with them until like the last year and a half maybe like I've been shooting them way longer and that's kind of a, a A repetitive thing that you're you're going to hear from me because I didn't just say oh I think I want to be with Under Armour or or this or that and then it happened I mean you have to show them consistency and dedication and loyalty and that you truly know and believe in the brand so yes I'm an ambassador for them Um, they're one of my partners and biggest supporters they're awesome Scott's awesome I can't say enough good things about him so it's really refreshing to like really love a product and then find out that the people behind it are just, you know, salt to the earth.
0: Right. I agree. No, Scott's awesome. He actually, we were talking during the podcast and he was like, yeah, man. Uh, he's like, you know, just let me know uh, what site you want. He's like, I'll send you one. And he just sent, he sent me a site and a hat and a shirt. And I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like he, I I was watching your YouTube video the other day. He sent me the, uh, the optimizer Tetra. And I was like, I really like this site. And then my and then my freaking release broke. So I haven't really had to get got to shoot it that much. But oh, I'm really yeah. looking forward to shooting it. it it's it's an you, awesome site.
1: Uh, what release are you shooting?
0: So I'm shooting this year I'm moving I moved to the Cobra Switch. I had shot True Ball um Excel for a long time. And I'm gonna try I'm I, I'm gonna try get to go exclusively Cobra this next year. Um, between the switch and then they have another one that's a hook style uh, wrist strap called the moment awesome yeah
1: what Uh, about you the release world is super new to me I was actually I had a couple break on me um like the same model break Mm -hmm. twice and I was like "Mm, I need a switch but it's they're so expensive and I feel like a lot of archery shops don't Like they're great and they have so many options for everything else except for releases so it's been kind of it's been kind of a hard transition I'm trying to remember the one I just oh a stand perfects or however you say it that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying right now um I like it I then but it has it's so adjustable like so scary! Scary how adjustable it is. I, I don't know how anything is probably more adjustable than that than that one. And I've, that's what I kept reading. And I was like, "Oh, this is cool. I can fit it perfect to me." Mm-hmm. But the more moving parts you have, that I don't know. I'm starting to wonder. Like maybe I pulled the trigger a little too fast on getting that. Yeah. Feels great. Like my last release that was super simple. Quit working in New Zealand on the top of the mountain, and I just and I and a lot of it. I think it was like weather. You know, pertaining to the weather there, because it's just insane weather—all four seasons in a day. But yeah. I'm like, man, if something so, if a, a very simple design quits working on me, I just worry about too many moving parts.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, some some ones that I really want to try. Have you heard of a uh, knock on? Yeah. Yeah. So knock on makes some really cool releases. They make one called the knock to it, and then the silverback, and, and they're, they're made.
1: S- I shot. Carter, yeah, they're, yeah, they're
0: made by Carter, and so. I really, really want to try them. And like you said, these, oh my gosh, you can't just what like his, buy and do what?
1: What is his run? I don't even, I, I, $200 I Two.
0: $200 even. Yeah.
1: Dude. Their
0: releases are crazy expensive. It's like, oh, I'll just buy it and try it out. And it's like, well, they were $200. I can't buy another one, you know? So I don't know. And they don't, and the thing is with those, they're such a specialized release and they're so niche that you can't, you can't just like go get one from the store like you have yeah. to order it and they're always out of stock. So that's that'll be one that I probably pick up or the silverback's probably going to be it's a back tension. So I'd like to shoot it right. with my target bow, but um yeah, that's probably be one that I'll pick up.
1: I've and- heard that the transition from his back tension to his thumb is like incredible, which you don't find that very often. But mm-hmm. so I don't know. I, I am interested, but I'm not interested in I you know, I dropped a ton I don't remember how much that stand release was, but I think it was every bit of 200 250 maybe i don't know stands more mm-hmm. in the target world right. and i just kept hearing so many good things about it i'm like i don't know i think there's reason to explore you know that side of things too because in the archery world they're hidden x's you know what i mean like yes yeah. like, Hunter, i want vitals that's what i care about i'm not i don't get too wrapped up in x's but it, 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 it transfers over. You know, it's kind of like I was telling my husband a few days ago, we went to um, to REI. So we went to Cabela's and we went to REI. And I'm like, we are at Cabela's. And first of all, their selection has gone down tremendously. I was I was shocked, actually. We ran over to REI and I'm like, this is where all the hippies like granola campers go. but mm-hmm. like, They've got their stuff figured out. And I see that kind of like the difference between Target and bow hunting world, too. Like, there's reason to, you know, cross over and look at what they're doing and apply it into the bow hunting world. And uh, anyway, I ended up buying way too too much stuff at REI because their ultralight selection is insane for, like, backcountry hunts.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that stuff stuff matters. I I I went camping in Colorado a couple weeks ago, and we had a tent that was, like, I'm not kidding, it was, like, a foot long. In a little bitty bag, and you could carry, and it like weigh like two pounds, and it would fit two people. I was like, "This is insane!" And yeah. so, I'm definitely going to have to pick up some of that stuff for the backcountry stuff. What kind of backcountry hunts do you go on?
1: Um, so I really just elk is all I've done so far. Like, last my biggest one was this past year. We did three weeks on horseback, um, and really, the horses were just there to get us in, and then hopefully pack something out, which we didn't pack out, but. Um, yeah. Three weeks back there. It was mm-hmm. probably the greatest experience of my life. <laughs> um, so and then cool. this, this year I'll do elk again with my husband and hopefully he asked for the entire month of September off, which oh, I didn't wow. know. He came home and like, yeah, I asked for September off. I'm like, do you still have a job? Like, I don't think you can do that, but they yeah. might grant it They're They might let him. So uh, depending on where we get drawn, obviously we'll be packing in somewhere. It's just a matter of, are we going to be Somewhere where there's, you know, lots of accessible roads where we can, you know, pack a little bit more. Or are we going to have everything on our back? And I just said, let's just plan for everything on our back. And mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. I haven't done that. I've only, you know, I've only dealt with horses. So
0: So what what states are you looking at?
1: I've put in for Montana, Idaho, New Mexico, Arizona. I can't remember if I did Utah. I know I did a point in Colorado, Wyoming that's it that's just for elk wow so I put in for yeah we uh, when we got our total for tags I was like because we work with built uh, hunting full or built to hunt and they do all of our applications and and uh, I was like can we even afford this right now like it's insane how much you know the outdoorsman puts back into tags it's yeah it's, awesome, it's, it's just now
0: if you don't get drawn out you get that money back right
1: Um, it varies from state to state. Like, yeah, you'll get, of course you'll get, you'll get some, you get Mm -hmm. most of it back. Absolutely. But some States just keep more than others. And it's hard for me to actually separate what those numbers are. I know, I think they range from like 65, 50 bucks to 200 bucks maybe. And I'm, I'm saying that like, I believe I'd have to look look at my breakdown to really know exactly Per state. But yeah, it varies. And then you have states where um, if you do get drawn and then, you know, God forbid something happens or you have to go, you know, you get sick or you have a funeral, you get hurt or whatever. And you can't do it. They Some states will give you all your money back um, and some states will keep some of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm learning. It's it, I'm learning because I've grown up in Texas. Everything's private land. So the whole out of state public land is. I'm learning more every year and I wish I would have, um, jumped on with, um, hunting full years ago, because again, that was kind of another situation. Like I was just super intimidated. Like it's so easy to be in your comfort zone and stick to what you know. And I've been hunting here my whole life. I have land to hunt almost anything here. So it's just easier. Uh, and then my first taste of elk hunting, I got so ate up with it. I'm like, I got to do this every year. And so thankfully, I think this will be my fifth year elk hunting. So I'm, yeah. I'm in that way. But yeah, thankfully, I have those uh, consultants to help me kind of decide which route to take because it's really overwhelming. Even in one state, it's overwhelming. But in every yeah. state, it's it's a little much.
0: That's something I want to get into this year. I really want to go um, bow hunt elk. I haven't got to do it. I was going to do it this year, but being in college, you're very uh, you're very like, much a slave to what your professors, how they want to act. You're like, can I reschedule? And they're like, no. Like, yeah. this is on Friday. So I'm like, okay, well, I can't miss, I can't fail a class over this. And so I, I didn't get to do it this year, but I really want to do it next year. And I really hope you guys get drawn out to Arizona. I have a, uh, I have a friend that's a guide in Arizona. And he was telling me that they took a client out last year and he passed up 86 bulls before he killed one.
1: Yeah. That's like a, I don't even remember what the percentage is like 0.00 something. It's, it's kind of one of those, those States that you have to put in for, you know, 20 years before you get, I mean, I guess it's depending on where you, where you put in. That's what I'm learning anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't expect to get drawn, but you know, it's like what Braxton tells me. He's like, somebody's got to get drawn. It's like putting in for the lottery, you know, truly. So yeah, we, you know, swing for the fence, hope it happens. If not, we've got, I think we put in for seven states for elk. So we've got six others. And, and again, a few of those are going to be like, we know it's going to be a, a just another year under our belt. You know, we're not expected to get drawn or just like getting another point. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So what would your advice be to someone? So I'm moving to Austin. I don't have any any family from around Texas. And I know the public land system in Texas sucks. And because in Oklahoma, it's pretty good. Like we have close to a million acres. But I know Texas has like almost none. And what they do have is, you know, like far east Texas, and maybe a little bit into the west Texas. So how, how do you how would you go about looking for? private land around Austin because these leases are absolutely insane
1: I would love to tell you I'm actually in that situation right now with turkey hunting because I, okay. I you know we live on home property I've grown up in the state so I have access to properties but I, I can hunt anything but turkey that's like the one thing in my own state that I, I never get to hunt well I have in years past but just with our current situation we've we don't have those same relationships that we used to. And so I'm like, I'm not paying $500 for a bird. And that's even lowballing it. Like if you go to oh, yeah. an outfitter for a Turkey, it's going to be over a thousand most likely. And so um, I'm in the same boat right now. I actually just reached out like to my following, asking if anybody knew of a central Texas lease. And, and it's very outside of my comfort zone to even be looking or asking for these, you know, asking these questions. Um, I, I'm, I am very fortunate for the, the properties I have access to. And I truly think it's just cause I was raised here and I want, I want to tell you, oh, and again, give all of this positive feedback, but it's just an unknown area for me Yeah. Um, for someone that's coming here. I, I live pretty close to Fort hood. And so I get messages from soldiers a lot of times who get excited about moving to Texas and being stationed here because they know the hunting is incredible and they don't yeah. to hunt. And thankfully, there's a lot of programs that, you know, cater to um, soldiers and veterans and stuff. And I, I, you know, I'm grateful that I can kind of point them in that direction. But even then, it's never guaranteed. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell people. It's, it's a problem, you know, and it's nothing that, it's not a situation that I've been exposed to enough to be able to give you like a knowledgeable answer. But I, I, uh if I find out, I will let you know. Yeah. I don't know what's around. I'm like, I'm, I'm close to Austin. I don't know of any public land, except for Fort Hood. So on base that, you know, Fort Hood does have a, some public land and my husband's hunted it and I don't know the system now, but back whenever he had hunted it, it's, uh it's managed really, really well. You know, I think they, ha- they say like two hunters per whatever acreage and the key is literally getting up at like three or four the morning of and and just calling and calling and calling for them to say okay yeah you're the first caller you get to you get to hunt today he's like that's the kind of system that it is where you just you have to get there before everybody else to get to hunt on there because they manage it that strong that you know closely Mm -hmm. but that's that was the old way of doing it for, for all I know now it's online or, or some type of draw. I I don't know. I don't know how it works.
0: Yeah, no, the consensus that I'm getting is you either got to really know someone that has a lot of money or you have to have really, really deep pockets yourself. I mean, I see these, I'm in all these like lease locator groups on Facebook and I'm like, you know what? I can find a lease for like three or four grand. And then, uh, everyone's like, you know, ten thousand dollars a spot I got 13 spots I'm like what the heck like I don't yeah. understand how these people can dish out this mu- amount of money and what I'm realizing is it's all these people um from Austin uh, that are coming out you know an hour and a half two hours and they want a lease to take their kids out on it's like they're willing to pay you know 15 or 20 grand to go hunt and I'm like I- I'm not you know but yeah it's just an interesting situation Texas is very unique and I went I did get to go on a hunt in the hill country and like I saw, like, 140-inch deer, like, the first time I sat down. Within the first 30 minutes, I was like, I really want to be out here. Like, just, you know, it's gorgeous. Like, it's warm. Where but, were
1: you? I'm getting so hill country. Um, there's Rock Springs. There's Fredericksburg. There's
0: Fredericksburg, yes. It was right by Fredericksburg. Yeah, cool. it was about two hours, I guess, that'd be west to Austin.
1: Yeah, and that's cool. Not a yeah. lot of people get to experience that. Um, the hill country is is a special place in this state, for sure. And the wildlife thrives out there. So, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so maybe we could segue back into how did you get started hunting? Like who took you first and what was your first experience like?
1: Uh, so my dad, my dad's the one who got me into hunting, just outdoors in general, from fishing to hunting, anything like that. Um, I don't like I don't recall my first experience outdoors just being with him hunting just because I would go with him um and I, I don't remember the, the first time but I my first hunt like whenever I got behind the weapon um I think it was like end of eighth grade maybe yeah uh and I actually shot a coyote for my very first animal which is bizarre because I've never shot another one ever wait I just they're super spooky I mean I hear people about like just kissing them in like when they see him they kiss him they come and they shoot him that doesn't happen in Texas we got smart we got really smart dogs um, so I vividly remember that experience with him just because he was so proud and I didn't understand the level of excitement then for me to be shooting a coyote in South Texas with my dad until I got older and realized how hard it is to predator hunt um, but that's that's like my I mean, I recall being like, I remember being in a blind with him, even when I was much younger, we were turkey hunting. And I can't believe he took me turkey hunting because those, that, those their eyes are insane. I just remember him being like, quit moving. Don't blink. They can see you blink. And I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do right now. Um, but yeah, he went, he took me on a lot of my very first hunts. I shot my first uh, doe that he, well, spike that he thought or it was another buck that he thought was a doe then I shot a doe with them and then I shot my first buck with them I shot lots of pigs with them and then he just kind of like let me loose and I started hunting hogs by myself I only ever hunted hogs or coyotes or bobcats if they came in but um I shot a bobcat by myself too one time so I hunted uh predators and hogs and stuff alone after I spent several hunts with him and yeah, the rest is history. Finally, I got a bow in my hand about six seven years ago, six and a half, something like that. And yeah, so my dad and my husband have been very, very fortunate.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So what role how is it how has it been different? Um, you know, instead of doing bow hunting as your hobby and this is something that I'm really interested in because this is something I'd want to do full time. What is it like? Segwaying into a position where now bow hunting is really kind of your life. It's no longer just a hobby. It's like the way of life. It's like a way you provide for yourself and your family. You know, what what has that been like?
1: Um It's very hard. Um, I you know, I want to sit here and say, like, oh, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, you live you have the best life ever. And I do I have a wonderful I have a really cool opportunities and great adventures, but um the pressure. <laughs> I can't say enough about the pressure that it puts on you to make it a job. And so I have to really like pull back sometimes and, and have a balance of life and bow hunting. Um, because I've, I feel like the, the pressure to succeed is higher now than it ever has been. And nobody likes to feel that pressure when they go out into the woods of like, I have to be successful because this is my job and people expect that from me. It's a really weird feeling because hunting was never that way for me when I was growing up. Like if I came in empty handed, it didn't matter because it was like, we're still around the campfire talking about all the stuff that we saw or we heard, but we never saw. And it was like everything was like so exciting, you know, and to where now people just harp on you if you're not successful. Like I get more hate for not filling tags. It's insane. And so. For that, I've had to like really pull the reins on um, how involved I am on social and doing a lot of behind the scenes content and just kind of like, just try to get back to when it was carefree like that, you know, and it not be about killing and not letting the success in the field dictate, you know, whether you're deserving of what you do or not. And so just, I just wanted to be full, like fully honest for anybody listening that, I think anybody you talk to that hunts full-time feels that pressure. I think we just all deal with it differently. Um, and that's why I, you know, I never started Follow Her Arrow to be based on what I kill. And I don't ever want it to become that. You know, I think there's a story to be told, no matter whether you fill her tag or not. And it's really important that you, um that you tell us that that you, that you, that you present that well, especially for kids when somebody's getting into hunting and they feel, they automatically feel like, well, if I don't kill anything, I'm just not meant to do this. You know how discouraging that is. And, um, anyway, I could go on and on about that, but it's, it's really fun. I've got to hunt some really cool places and species that I never thought I'd be able to ever. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, but it, I am learning to deal with that pressure and that negativity on a day to day basis, because it's it's it can be very discouraging.
0: So, how do you deal with hate? You know, I just think social is a very natural place that um, kind of brings about these hateful comments and stuff like that. So, how do you how do you deal with with things like that that are discouraging? Like maybe people commenting like oh, you're not a very good hunter, you didn't kill this, or you didn't fill this tag? Like, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you separate yourself from that?
1: So writing is my therapy. That's where I kind of, like, like decompress. So I'm constantly writing. Um, I work out a lot. I, you know, I really practice the voice in my head and making sure it's positive. Because at the end of the day, your opinion of yourself is the most important opinion. And then second to that is, I mean, honestly, it's like how you see yourself, how, what are you in in God's eyes? And, and for me, it's my husband because he's my biggest fan and all those, I would say two of the three of those are always on my side, but sometimes I can get in my head. And so it's really, really important to, um, to be positive in your own mindset and realize that. You know, you you hate to say that people's negative comments are are a reflection of, like, their envy or jealousy or their lack of, you know, being able to chase their own dreams. It's like it's so much easier to put someone down than to use that energy and put back into themselves. That's just the easy way out. And I have to remind myself of that. It's not a reflection of me. It's their words are a reflection of their own misery. And so that helps me a lot because, really, when you say bad things about people— and then you ask yourself, why did I just do that? And typically it's, you're just dealing with your own battles. You have, and maybe it's subconscious, but it's, it's coming out in your actions. I mean, that, there's no way around it. Why would you want to be negative otherwise? Um, yeah, I just, you just got to, <laughs> I don't know, pray for those people that they find happiness in their own lives. Because I think when you're truly happy with yourself you that you give off that energy and everybody around you feels it and that's the kind of energy I want people to feel around me and so yeah I think just mentally your own voice is really really powerful
0: you talked about your husband being I think you said was the one that got you into bow hunting yeah what about what else there had to be some kind of draw to bow hunting before that and what did you like about bow hunting that you couldn't get out of just traditional rifle hunting?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So I actually a lot of people don't know this. I had actually quit hunting for about a year and a half before I started bow hunting. And part of that was that I was um I was living overseas for several months and just exploring the world and, and like a you know, growing in different areas. And so I was away from home and away from Hunting opportunities, but um, a lot of it was that I was not feeling the challenge of rifle hunting in Texas anymore. Now, I mean, I I understand there's a lot of talent behind long range shooting, and if I was climbing mountains and you know all that to put in to, to put into my rifle hunts, I think I'd feel differently. I'm 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 saying that with my experience of my tar hunt because by the time I climbed 3,200 feet in the mountains, I was like, give me that gun now, it's my last opportunity, and I, I pulled the trigger proudly on a rifle, but um, for a flatlander in Texas, and having so, such a huge population of every species, and so many opportunities, I was just kind of, I was just kind of over, it. like, it wasn't challenging me in the same way anymore, and so um, I wasn't, I, I don't want to say I wasn't getting anything out of it, but it's like, how many pigs this is when i would started hunting by myself a lot i'm like how many pigs and and um <laughs> coons and bobcats like how many things do you shoot with a rifle before it's like okay i'm ready for the next thing i'm ready for the next step so i did feel that pull because there was a lack of of challenge here in my home state um and man bow hunting you want to talk about a challenge like it it doesn't it it will highlight your um strengths and weaknesses very quickly. So I think that's why it kind of lit a fire inside of me too, because I was like, whoa, this world it's like a like an unknown world to me. And um I quickly learned that it <laughs> it was not I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna fail a lot more than I'm gonna succeed. So
0: so for someone like me, I so for instance, there's a lot of, um, segmented land where I grew up in like Northeast Oklahoma. So a lot of people own smart, small parcels of land. And so the animals are, you know, they're obviously more pressured. And through that, I really I realized that a rifle is always going to give me the best opportunity, you sure. know, so, cause they're always, you know, 200 yards is not asking for a whole lot. I feel like you could walk up to a deer at 200 yards most of the time. But um, for someone that is trying to segue into purely bow hunting, I I want to purely bow hunt. I love the challenge, uh, but I always find myself, you know, during rifle season, watching everyone else around me be fruitful with a rifle. And I'm like, you know what? Am I going to limit myself and the opportunities that I'm going to have at this game yet be mad at myself later because it wasn't as enjoyable and i'm just wondering how what would what advice would you give to someone that's in that position
1: um i mean well i think that be, like going full bow hunting just kind of happens over time it's not something that you wake up and do and i think that that transition gets easier once you're more successful bow hunting so i would never tell someone like put down the rifle and just bow hunt like i i really um I look up to the people who start bow hunting, never pick up a rifle, and whatever. Like that's great, but it depends on your goals, you know. If you need meat and you don't get to hunt very often, shoot shoot what you need for to fill your freezer, and then go out with a bow. And then over time, it just kind of like anything, you get better and better at bow hunting, and so you have to do less rifle hunting to succeed. And then you know, it's like it's a transition. It's not a wake up and do it. I, I I agree. I think you'd be miserable just being unsuccessful over and over again, you know, with and not even putting meat in your freezer. Like, I don't know, it just depends on what your goals are too. But you're yep. you're gonna get better over time because assuming you put the work into it. But if you don't get to hunt very much, I mean that, I will never put down rifle hunting. Like rifle hunters are necessary for conservation. A hundred percent. I respect them. And I still pig hunt with a rifle at night all the time at home. Um, that's for population control because they are very destructive. And I do it proudly. I do it. It's a different mindset, though. I'm like, I have to kill them because they're literally destroying our crops. You know, so I'm not doing it for food. And that's that's the other thing. Living here, I'm surrounded by people with wild game, right? So if you're not surrounded by hunters and you don't have access to, to meat, you know, like, okay, put yourself in a position where you're like, I really need to, put, I need to put meat in the freezer, um, so, and I only have this much time to get it done. To me, that's an easy, I'm going to go out with a rifle. But if I'm, for me, I continue to bow hunt even when I'm not successful because I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be fine because I have a lot of hunters around me that will give me meat, and I'm going to have a lot of, a lot of opportunity because the populations are high, and it's private land, and it's Texas. Like, I have no problem saying that my situation here is easier than when I go out of state. I I'll I'll will never deny that. I am going to have a lot better opportunity killing out here than when I leave the state. And so I'm okay continuing to go out with my boat over and over and over again because I know I'm going to have opportunity. Now whether I capitalize on an opportunity is a different story, but uh, the opportunity is there and that's why I love Texas. Like I think that's why I got so confident with with a bow because I've pulled back on so many animals because I live in Texas. I tr- I mean everything's legal here too so like we right. can get away with a lot
0: mm-hmm. no that's awesome i feel like target practice on pigs would be really really fun
1: I've shot, I've
0: shot pigs in my bow and i'm just like oh that's so fun i just wish like the pack would come back so i could shoot them again and
1: <laughs> they do sometimes
0: yeah they're they're pretty tough though um from what i'm noticing i i've had a lot of arrows go about halfway in and just break off and i'm like dang like that really sucks and that just cost me like twelve dollars yep so <laughs> but anyway our, so
1: my husband head shoots him so if he really him, with his bow mm-hmm. oh wow he'll just put it in the ear just like a rifle He'll just put it in the ear and it drops him right there and i mean he's got he's gotten up to three uh in one sit before i've done a lot of doubles i've shot a lot of doubles but he he's a freaking savage though he's a really good hunter i'm not just saying that because he's my husband he's a very good hunter so hmm. he gets it done pretty regularly.
0: I'm going to have to try that the next time I go uh, pick hunting with my bow. So maybe we could talk a little bit about you being an Under Armour Hunt athlete and how that came into fruition.
1: <laughs> That's always such a funny question. I get it a lot. And I, I, man, back to what I was saying earlier, it's all about shaking hands and and showing up. And my one of my mottos in life is if you're persistent, you'll get it. If you're consistent, you'll keep it. And I, first of all, I fell in love with Under Armour years ago. Like as a kid, I was a soccer player for 10 years. And I, so I wore Under Armour as much as I could. Um, I loved the brand. I've always been a fan of it. And when they came out with the Hunt line, I would get pieces as I could, even if it meant only, you know, they didn't have women's clothing for a long time. So even if it meant I had to buy a men's small, or even I vividly remember buying a quarter zip men's medium when I was in high school. And I'm like, I just was just, I was obsessed with Under Armour. I always have been. So, um, you know, I wore it for a long time. And I think that that's what people forget too, is those bigger brands don't need you. you. Or I should say, you need them more than they need you. And they're you have to show loyalty to a brand and show that you truly believe in it, regardless of the relationship. And I did for years. And I just continued to market them over and over again. I I always said when I started Follower Arrow and I started partnering with people, I had other opportunities with camo companies. And I just said, no, I want to wait. I want to wait for Under Armour. I want to wait for Hoyt. I want to wait for those companies that I believe in. HHA is another one. And it's sticking to what you truly believe in even even when other people have opportunities in front of you. And so I think you have to when those bigger brands you have to live and breathe that brand and it just be such a natural thing for you to to walk up and say I love what you represent. I love I love this and be, be, knowledgeable about the product. And so I was that weird girl <laughs> that started going to conventions and like hanging out at the Under Armour booth. And it's so weird to look back and think about it and kind of embarrassing. Cause I don't even do that now. Um, even as an athlete, like, you know, I'll have my meeting and then I go and wonder about, but I would shake as many hands as possible, hanging around that booth. And I started showing up to the events like you know Cam's 5K races. I was at his very first 5K race at shop show, and I've gone I want to say I've gone every year since, but show, showing up, being make sure your face is constantly constantly there and that you're representing the lifestyle that that, that brand represents and marketing them and being knowledgeable about their their product and um, I just got was really fortunate that I shook the right hand and I, that is truly. That is truly, I, I think, why why I'm now with them, um, because I got in touch with, i had heard through the grapevine, the person I needed to talk to, and I stopped until I found that person and got in front of them. And I think when you're passionate about something, it just, it will just flow out of you. It's not something that you, you don't have to preach anything. You don't have to have an elevator pitch. It's just, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is what I believe in. This is what I want. And if you are talking to the right person, it will snowball into something else. And even after I shook that person's hand, it took several years. You know, it started with just, I say just, but I I still am so grateful. And I I remember this moment like it was yesterday. I still remember getting my first little goodie box from them. And I thought it was like a kid on Christmas morning. I flipped out and I was like, Brexit. I just got a package from Under Armour like, and I never want to lose that excitement. And I don't, I still love them just as much as I did years and years ago, but it's got to be consistent. Don't try to form to, to something. Cause you see the opportunity, just stay truthful to what, what you desire. And I don't know, like it, it sounds so simple, but it, it really is. A lot of people will be like, Oh, like they'll try and then it doesn't work. So they move on, they jump ship and, It just wasn't ever about that for me.
0: Right. Now that makes sense. I think that's that's great. So could we segue into, I think this is a really interesting topic right now, especially with um, the power of everyone to have an opinion on social media. So um, how would you explain to someone that doesn't hunt that people that hunt care more about animals that people than don't, more about animals than people who don't. So how does, how do hunters care about animal conservation? How does that make sense? How do you rationalize that to yourself?
1: Well, I, so I try, I, I don't ever try to preach that we care more um, because even though I do feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't preach that because in that statement, you're already separating you know, you're you're, set, you're you're creating two sides, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the goal is to bridge that gap, in my opinion. Um, and I actually have non-hunters in my family. Um, my mama would never shoot an animal ever, ever. But she's a meat eater, and and then I have a sister who was vegan for a long time, and then she was vegetarian. Now she's kind of pescatarian. I don't I don't really know what she what she's is right now, but Um, Even as a vegan, she understood. And so I'm very, very fortunate with each of them because for uh, my my mom, she's like, I don't like to see dead animals, but here I am eating meat. And how could I judge you for going out and getting your own meat? It's no different. Like she just gets it. Right. And then my sister, the common denominator between us is um, an alternative to factory farming. And so I think when you I think when you try to find common denominators with people, you're going to end up instead of trying to separate, you know, like if you say, well, I care more than 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 you do. It it doesn't get anywhere. Um, I think a great example also is the like going to a local banquet like if you could ever drag a non-hunter to a local banquet and see the thousands of dollars being raised and any organization it is incredible what they're accomplishing at these events and um why do you do that you it because you you have a love for the animals and that money's going back into them and so I think there's just a lot of different ways that you can accomplish that um but Yeah. I think, I think hunters hurt themselves a lot by, by, by drawing that line. Honestly, I do. I think it, it could bring more people into our lifestyle if we talked about what we have in common and not the differences.
0: I think that's a really wise stance because there is this, there is a sense of proudness. Um, for me at least it's like, yeah, I, I went and got this for myself and, i it's not disrespectful for them asking questions but in a a way it's like my pride gets in the way sometimes of like yeah i i got that myself and i care more about them than you do you know because it's like you what you um and i eat hamburgers too from from walmart and stuff so i have no room to talk but it's like someone is doing the killing whether it's me whether it's some guy with a rod and a you know at a cattle farm, whatever somebody is, and just like there's a sense of int- intimacy and, and proudness when you go and do that yourself.
1: Oh, absolutely! And listen, in my head, don't think that in my head I'm not saying other things. I'm just saying as I voice it, I have to really filter because in my head I'm thinking, if this world came crashing down and we're the, the like the last few people, you're gonna die first. Defend for yourself. Like I do have those very aggressive, uh, very aggressive thoughts. Because um, it's hard not to give back that energy that you're, that's coming at you. You yeah. know, it's a natural thing for us to do as humans is to react instead of think through our response. And, you know, I'm not saying like walk on eggshells for, you know, and tiptoe around it. But I, I, I often use this idea of the world is a hundred percent. And then you have, you have 10% that are hunters and you have 10% that are non-hunters and you have that about 80% of the world who's just an un- indifferent. They're not against it. They're not for it. They're just, they, they are the, they are a perfect opportunity to present hunting in a positive light to bring them to our side. And so because of that, I try to be Extremely respectful and how I represent the lifestyle, and um, whether that's you know, it's just it just comes down to facts, you know. It's it's conservation, it's providing, and it's an, an alternative to video games and computers and like all the things. Like you're gonna learn more life skills at being out in the wild than you ever will sitting in front of a TV. And so I I, I like to talk about these things that hunting does for a person for their well-being for their mental physical emotional health and be a positive example of that instead of focusing on you know this is what you should be doing or you know you know know what I mean like it's Mm -hmm. just it's all about perspective
0: yeah I like what you said I mean it really is despite the way that you feel um the delivery is everything Mm because the way you deliver is going to determine whether someone um, is recruited to hunting or someone remains indifferent or, you know, or in some cases takes the other side. They're like, yeah, hunters are douches. I agree. Like I've had this experience, but uh, that's, that's really wise. I like what you said. So what, how would you explain to someone else that hunting isn't cruel um or unusual or careless this is something i've been asking a lot of people recently on the podcast like i think it's a really interesting question that and is... i don't have an original answer for it either i have like a cameron Haynes answer that i heard the other day and i was like that is really really wise
1: uh, i've probably heard it i mean i'll be interested you can tell me afterwards what he says but i like to think about i like to to so if someone wants to come to me and say how is that how is that not cruel and whatever you know all the things you just listed I would I would probably fire back with a question of. Well, what's the alternative? You know, what is what happens to a population of animals when there aren't hunters involved? Let's let's like really look at that picture, and you're going to have overpopulation. You're going to have which turns to disease, um, starvation, and so I, I I put this vision in their head of even getting eaten alive. My God. I mean how many how many videos do we see of like literally animals walking trying to get away from something, eating their hind end? You know, it's like you can have that or you can have a hunter that puts I would I not say an ethical hunter that's putting hours and hours of their time behind their weapon, making sure it's spot on so that that, that kill is is quick. It's gonna be you know, a well-placed arrow or bullet and they're going to go down in seconds or it might even be minutes, but that's a lot faster than nature's way. Mm-hmm. So I, that's how I kind of see it. Um But I don't know, I'd have to, I'd probably have to think on that a little bit more. Mm.
0: I think that, I think that's the right answer. I, I've in, in a nutshell, what I heard and what I really, really liked about what Cam said about it was, um, if you think about it from someone from a management perspective that wants to kill an animal that is older, um, one, it's out of its breeding prime. Two, the only death that is going to happen to that animal is either going to be one, like you said, starvation, or two, um, death by another animal or 100%. disease. So, as a hunter, if I go in and I kill, a, you know, an eight to ten year old bull, and he goes down in seven seconds, I just gave him the most merciful death that he's ever going to experience he's not going to get eaten by a wolf he's not going to die of a disease and he's not going to die of a like a you know a long harsh winter of starvation sure. and so when i give him that yeah i'm giving him the easy way out but everyone benefits he gets the the most merciful death that he's ever going to experience i get the meat and i you know we have mutual respect for each other i respect that animal and so in that way
1: that i way can rationalize
0: said. that yeah i can rationalize that in my head cuz i'm like like you said, what's the alternative? The only alternative is death. That animal is going to die at some point, right? It's mm-hmm. just how. And like with a bow and you have to practice so many hours to make that shot. And like when you do and that animal dies within sight, it feels good, you know, because it's like, yeah, I didn't like killing that. But like I just gave that animal the most merciful death out. You know, it's an old animal. And that's the I mean, it's really the only way um, like it's the easiest way. And it just, there's something about that. And like, as a steward uh, of all the animals in the kingdom, it's like, it's super fun to know. And it's super like comforting to know that I just gave that animal its easiest way out. And that's, that's some way that I think about it. And I think that's a really good way to portray it to people that don't hunt.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. I really love, I love hearing other people's perspective um, on these questions. And, and to, as an example of what Cam said, that happened this past year. We'd been um, hunting this buck for for several years, and we know for a fact, for a fact, he's between like ten and twelve years old. Um, but t- bad shape. And he was real wide. He's actually he's twenty seven inches wide. He's like a longhorn. His his mane just went out and stopped. Oh, and wow. yeah, it's really interesting buck. Um, he had started to go downhill for you know years ago, and I was going to shoot him a couple years ago, but he broke his right main and he's just such a unique buck. We're like, well, let's just try to get him when he's a full, you know, he's full rack and, um, and he came back and he was way smaller and just struggling. Like his face was completely white and he's actually on my, on my social channel, but my husband shot him. We called him yardstick. And you were talking about how you mentioned he might get killed by another animal and maybe you were referring to predators i'm not really certain there but um he had it was right after the rut and when he shot him he noticed that his mouth looked funny like he couldn't make out because it was he was too far away but he's like when he first came out of the brush he couldn't tell what was wrong with it and i think it was like at first light he would probably tell a story um because he actually, it was in the morning because he came and got me out of bed and was like, I shot him, I did it, I did it. And he's like freaking out. But so I want to say it was hard for him to see at first light, but his mouth was really funny looking. And what happened was he had recently got in a fight with another buck, and that buck ran one of his tines between his gums and the skin. So his. Skin was literally dangling down. Like, I don't know how to, how to say this for people listening because they're not going to be seeing me on camera. But, like, it had it was every bit of four, maybe five inches of skin all the way back and ripped it back. And he, it was just dangling there. And he'd already started to fill it with pus and would have gotten infected. I'm sure he, he was having a hard time eating. Like, what a horrible way to mm-hmm. go out you can't even eat. Because it's your it's disconnected. It would have never healed, and um, because of his rack, like he had no protection whatsoever. His eye guards, everything was his. Tines were like short and stubby. He had he didn't have a chance. He didn't have prayer. Mm-hmm. But so that's you know our recent experience just this last hunting season of something you know very similar to what Cam said because he needed to go years ago. He needed to go. He was getting whooped by bucks every year, but um he was just kind of one of those ghost bucks that rarely came about we'd get a few couple pictures a season of him that's it so wow.
0: that's so funny because i killed a buck this year that literally had that same that same deal like he, he had his right side had his g2 was completely snapped in half the left side his g3 was broken in half he had like eye guards that were weirdly offset so like they were just at weird different angles and when i shot him like i was like man He was standing next to, like, a two-year-old buck, and I was like, he's, like, two times the size of that deer. And I was like, but he does not have a very big rack. So I shot him, and when I got up to him, his face looked like a bowling ball because he got stabbed right under the chin. And when I grabbed him, I, like, kind of squeezed his face together, and it shot out from his chin, just, like, pus everywhere. And, like, his eyes were all pussy and stuff, and I was just like, ugh. Like, it's it's cruel out there. Like, nature is super cruel. And I think it's just very wise to... Um, navigate those conversations about, you know, merciful hunting and how an ethical hunter really wants to take things like that out of their misery.
1: Yeah. And I think that if those same people spend enough time out in the wild and watch with their own eyes, like my, my friend texted me a couple of days ago and she said that they were out turkey hunting and they saw a big gobbler being chased by a coyote few minutes later, that coyote's running back, bird in, bird in its mouth. You know, it's oh, like wow. if you're out in nature to experience and witness it for yourself, you gain knowledge, right? Like that's how we that's how we obtain the best knowledge is by our personal experience. And I think that a lot of people speak outside of experience. And I can say that even for myself, um, you know, a, a perfect example is several couple, maybe two or three years ago. um I went on a waterfowl hunt here in Texas and they would run dogs on hogs. And I have always had it's always been a touchy subject for me to talk about using dogs for um, for hunting and and not not for quail or like not for um, bird dogs, but um, like for treeing animals and stuff like I couldn't wrap my mind around it. A lot of it was from, um, I guess. Just lack of knowledge. It wasn't how I was raised to hunt, and I know it's really common in Texas. But I'd heard of awful stories of like their catch dogs getting killed, or their, even their bay dogs getting killed. And and I had to be careful about. I never spoke very openly about it because I'm like, who am I to talk about these things when I haven't experienced it? So when I was on that hunt, they were like, oh, let's go, let's go run some dogs, and we we literally, I think we killed three pigs and like less than two hours it it was one of the most efficient ways to hunt hogs that I've that I've ever experienced and I've hunted a lot of hogs a lot um and I think until you're truly in that position you should tread lightly and I I can say that as a hunter who even had an opinion about someone's method or choice of how they do things it's really really important that you keep an open mind until you experience for yourself and it's kind of like when you're a kid and your parents are like eat that and you're like no I don't want to and they're like well you're going to try it like mm-hmm. you're going to try it and then you're going to have an opinion you're not going to form an opinion before that and I think it's something that we can apply to all areas of our life
0: I think that's really wise I, I, I had my first experience a couple of summers ago running dogs on hogs, and it's very different, and it's interesting. So, um, Literally, yeah, you just let the dogs, like, we were just sitting there, like, on the 4 I was like, what are we doing? He's like, just waiting, and I'm like, for what? He's like, we're going to start help. barking, and I was yeah. like, okay, and then what? He's like, then we drive up, and we shoot it. I was like, okay, and it's super efficient. Like, we killed, like, a 250-pound sow. I was like, that was pretty easy, and yeah. he's like, yeah, it's really fun, and – this guy that I went in particular, um, he sometimes, like when the dogs are on him, will walk up and like grab their back leg and like stab them with a knife. And like he likes to get that kind of thrill, which is like, you know, kind of weird to me. But I mean, it's, he said, I've killed thousands of hogs. So he's like, I try that's, to make like more challenging.
1: That's how, that's how we hunted them. We, we use knives. So I don't yeah.
0: have,
1: like huge blades. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only did it once. And again, when you think about like how hunting is represented across social media, I never, I never showed any footage of it, any pictures of, um, I showed the outcome of like me with the dogs and all the pigs that we had got that night. But, um, I think it's really, really neat to watch a dog do what it was made to do. Like it's, I don't know. It was a different experience for me because even like bird hunting, I've never been a waterfowl hunter. I've never like never done any like upland game hunting until I got older and had, again, opportunities that just surfaced. And I was like, sure, I'll go. Why not? Um, But it was a very untouched area for me. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think I think it was uh, it's definitely the most efficient way, although I haven't been helicopter hog hunting yet. So um, that's definitely
0: a bucket list one.
1: Yeah, I mean we had an opportunity a couple of years ago and it just didn't work out and I never followed up with them. And, um, anyway, people do it out here all the time. Like they were flying our property the other day cause the hogs are really big, bad in our property right now. We can't keep up with them. So hmm. the local outfitter will come and take clients. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So what's, what's next for follow her arrow? What are you, what are you excited about um, in the near future?
1: Hmm. Well, in the, in the near future, so first of all, it's about to be, like, my little, um, what would you call it, tour of 3D shoots. <laughs> so I'm going to several of the total archery challenges. I'm doing a, a local course uh, about a couple hours away, which will be heavily youth involved. Um, and then there's one more I might be going to. So that's always exciting because that gets my confidence really, really Uh, high for the upcoming fall season and then in between those I go and teach archery at kids camps or women's camps and that's such a cool like hands-on way to connect with people and put you know archery and bow hunting in a positive light and impact you know individuals in person versus through a screen like at the end of the day there's only so much you can do through a screen so it's really cool to attend those events and make connections and I just love people so connecting with with people um especially like-minded but even not like even hearing like other people's opinions who maybe don't hunt and how they view it and um it's it's really it's really cool so those are enjoyable um before that it looks like i'll be going back to black bear camp up in alberta with uh, a good friend of ours and he's an outfitter up there three rivers adventures his name's Corey, and there's this really cool opportunity where he has these return clients that come every year and um, these men and they usually bring their sons well this year two two different guys uh, they're not related they're bringing their like 12 and 13 year old daughters to camp and it's their first hunt and one of them asked Corey if i could fly in and be like a mentor for her and i'm like that is probably going to be one of the coolest opportunities I've ever had in my hunting career. just to have a to impact another new female hunter who probably has a thousand questions and concerns and you know if I can just be there and be hands- on and like I would have killed to have that when I even though I had a great hunting upbringing, I just it would be would have been so cool to have you know girl a bunch of girls in camp or especially someone who has done, you know, a little been a little bit of everywhere and I don't know. I'm excited to connect with both of them and and um hopefully make an impression and I don't know.
0: It's That'll be awesome. Yeah. It's gonna be a super cool opportunity. I, I think there's not enough women mentors for girls that want to do our treat, which is kind of like your holistic message. So it works it works really well for you.
1: Yeah. I, I would love to turn it into a film. Um, it's just kind of last minute because that would be end of May. So, I oh, don't know. We'll see. I'm trying to work some work something out and hopefully get get someone to document it. Because um, mm-hmm. I think it would be a really powerful message. But Yeah, that would be
0: cool. We'll I might be hitting you up about the outfitting thing for the bears. I really want to kill a bear.
1: Uh, Yeah, he's incredible. Um, go look him up on Instagram. Oh, he's not super active on Instagram because he's kind of like, like behind the scenes knows everybody and just has a great clientele. But, you um, no, he's got I've, I killed two huge bears with him two years ago and like massive bears. So he's definitely got him. He runs a really cool camp. It's a wall tent camp and he, you know, has wonderful meals and it's just a really like a, the atmosphere is really cool.
0: That's great. So where can we keep up with you um, on social for anyone that's listening that wants to follow you and follow your story? Where's the best place to do that?
1: Uh, Well, the best thing to do is just uh, go to my website, which is followherarrow.com. And then from there, you'll be linked to literally everything from Instagram to Facebook to Twitter to YouTube. Um, My blogs are there, a little bit of everything. Um, But otherwise, if you just directly search me. It's follow her arrow on every platform.
0: Awesome. Well, Jessica, I really enjoyed this conversation. We're going to have to do it again sometime. Um, But apart from that, that's all I had. And I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. I had fun. It's nice to meet you and I'll definitely jump back on anytime.
0: Cool. Awesome. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. If you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast, make sure to check us out at thehuntersadvantage.net. That is our web domain. That's where we post all of our blog content. That's where we post our recent podcast episodes, as well as follow us on Instagram at thehuntersadvantage, hunter'sadvantage underscore podcast, or on Facebook at, at thehuntersadvantage. I appreciate you guys' support so much. Make sure to leave us a comment. Send us a message. We'd love to chat with you guys. You can also follow my personal journey at Christian Babcock, that's at Christian, B-A-B-C-O-C-K on Instagram and Facebook if you want to keep up with me and my hunting adventures as well. And I'll see you in the next episode.